How many of you have ever given back a gift at Christmas time to the giver? Well, how many of you have wanted to give back a gift at Christmas time to the giver? It's not a habit that you think that you're in very often of giving gifts back to the giver. But I would actually contend that we're pretty familiar with giving some gifts back to the giver. You see, the giver is the creator of the universe, God himself. He's given us some amazing things. And three of the things that we want to highlight over the next three weeks that that he gives to us and, and wants to give us are found here in Romans 15 in what we would sometimes refer to as a blessing in verse 13. We oftentimes read this verse maybe as a blessing to go forth with. These are things that God wants you to experience, you to have. He says, fill you with all joy, peace, and you abound in hope. God wants to give us peace, joy, and hope. We could look at it in numerous points all throughout Scripture. There's different verses, different places where Jesus talks about peace. We'll have his joy. Different places where he talks about he's overcome. We will have hope. God wants to give us peace, joy, and hope. Now, who would ever give back those gifts? I don't know anyone that says, I don't want any peace. I don't want any joy. I don't want any hope. We want those gifts. So if we want those gifts, why is it then that we don't always experience those things? If it says right here that God, may God give you these things. May the God of hope fill you with this stuff. Why is it that we don't experience it then? Well, today we begin with hope. And we find here that we're supposed to abound in hope. In other words, we're supposed to be boiling over with an eager expectation, an eager confidence of what God is going to do. In other words, our lives are supposed to be filled with confidence in the future. That when you see us, you really see sure confidence in what is to come. Well, if you came to our house these days, you probably wouldn't find a lot of sure confidence. Actually, at our house today, it's kind of filled with two different extremes. On one hand, we've got delusional, wishful thinking by the construction project manager. On the other hand, on the other hand, we've got a lot of disappointment and disgruntlement because we've passed three deadlines now of when the kitchen project was supposed to be done. It was supposed to be done when school started. It was supposed to be done on October 1st. It was supposed to be done on Thanksgiving Day. Well, I'm here to announce we have a new deadline. We're now shooting for Christmas Day. But if you asked some in the house, there wouldn't exactly be a lot of sure confidence that we're going to meet the fourth deadline. Some would look and say, there's actually a lot of delusional thinking going on. You know, missing deadlines and missing expectations usually leads to disappointment. It usually leads to despair. I would contend this morning that our world is actually filled with those two extremes, disappointment and despair and delusional thinking. It's filled with despair, and the place to look is obvious. Counselors' schedules are booked. Suicide rates, the ultimate outcome of despair, are at all-time highs here in our own country. Everywhere you look, 
different things that show despair and disappointment. On the other end of the extreme, there's a lot of delusional thinking out there. And that's seen in the political giving. If you just look at the political giving and the amounts of money that people are willing to write a check to someone that has absolutely no chance of actually ever holding a position of power, why? They actually think that this person is going to make everything right, is going to fix things. There's delusional thinking all over the place. Wishful thinking. Wishful thinking is also seen in how we buy stuff. The rat race that sometimes we enter into to get something because we think that something is going to what? Solve a crisis in our lives. Or is going to give us that extra contentment or security that we've always wanted. Well, what always happens? You go and buy something else. You go from the boat to the motorcycle, back to the RV, then back to the tent, and then back to a pop-up. You follow the strand all the time, looking for the next thing that's going to bring that contentment and security. Our world is filled with delusional and wishful thinking. At the exact same time, it's filled with despair and disappointment. Yet we as followers of Jesus Christ are called to be people who have an eager expectation, a confidence in the future. We're abounding in hope. This morning, though, many of us maybe aren't abounding in hope because we have some F's in our lives. Now, hopefully this isn't bringing up bad memories for some of you. Because when I bring up F, some of you automatically go back to your report card. But this morning I'm talking about some different F's. These are F's that all of us have to some degree. I would contend there are four F's that all of us have in our lives that can squelch or rob or suffocate hope. The first F is fear. Fear is really powerful. Fear can do weird things in your life. It can cause you to not do something. It can also cause you to do something. Because of fear, I have found myself sleeping on a hardwood floor a couple of times over the last couple of weeks. Not me, not my fear. But we have a daughter who's afraid to sleep alone, so where do I end up? In the bedroom. We should have never tore the carpet off of the floor. You see, fear does weird stuff, and it's got weird consequences. And in all of our lives, we do weird stuff because we are afraid. Fear isn't the only F, though. We've got this thing called feelings in our lives. And have you noticed that you've got some weird feelings sometimes that produce weird actions? A lot of us struggle with feelings of insecurity. A lot of us struggle with feelings of guilt. And those feelings have a lot of control in our lives, sadly. A lot of times we act upon those feelings to treat other people a certain way or to even treat ourselves a certain way. Not all feelings are healthy. I think we could all agree on that this morning, that all feelings are not healthy, but guess what we seem to have a problem with? Telling us not to act on those feelings. It's not healthy to always act on the feelings, or allowing the feelings to what? Dictate how healthy we actually are. There are fears there's feelings. Their third F that all of us have, that everyone has, is simple facts of life. There are simple facts of life that can rob us of hope. 
Every Sunday, I could stand up here with the newspaper headlines of the previous week and would not have to exaggerate at all. I could just lay out the facts. And the facts would automatically do what? Steal you of hope. I mean, there's some people today, how could they possibly have any hope after this past week? Just a fact of life, of what happened. It's not something that they created, it's just a fact of life. Fears, feelings, facts can rob us of hope. The final thing that can rob us of hope is failures. Something we all have. We've all failed at different times in our lives. We've failed ourselves. But most importantly and and sadly, we've failed God. And these failures rob us of hope because oftentimes failures freeze us from moving forward in action. When you've done something wrong and a failure, what does it usually do? It usually slows you up from doing that again. So for example, if you're skiing and and you're a really good skier, but one time you just happen to go a little too fast and cause someone else to fall and you fall as well. Just that one failure is going to cause you to do what next time? Slow down a little bit. Even if you're a really good skier all along. You see, failure causes you to think twice, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But failures can freeze us into guilt or inaction. Fears, feelings, facts, and failures can rob us of hope. Those four things we all have all the time. The question is, how do we deal with that stuff? The question is not, do we have that stuff? It's, how do we deal with that stuff? And we're really bad at dealing with stuff. Just look in your junk drawer. How many of you have a junk drawer at home? How many of you have ever moved stuff from one junk drawer to another junk drawer? How many of you have ever cleaned out a closet? Honest people, they just know where I'm going. Think. How many of you have ever cleaned out a closet, but really just moved that closet to another closet? We're really bad at dealing with stuff on a material level, but also on an emotional and a spiritual level. You see, what happens is this. We think ignoring will work. But have you ever noticed ignoring something doesn't seem to solve the problem? This last couple of weeks, we got some snow unexpectedly, or a little bit earlier at least than I was thinking. And uh, I had just simply been kind of ignoring the garage for the last couple of months. Well, the snow falls, and guess what? It's kind of nice to have the car in the garage. Well, ignoring the garage, guess what? Did not clean the garage. We did not open the garage door on the first day it snowed and just drive in. No, ignoring it, what? Left it a mess. Nobody could see it, but guess what? It was still a mess. If you ignore something, it doesn't fix it. All you're doing is pushing it further down the line to take care of at a later date, or you're pushing the problem further down in your life, which creates more problems down the line. How do we deal with this stuff? How do we deal with fears, feelings, facts, and failures? This morning, we're going to turn to the book of Titus, chapter 2. And we're going to get a word as, as Paul reminds us of our hope. I believe it teaches us something how we can actually experience that hope. So let's turn to Titus chapter 2. It's a small little letter in the New Testament. 
Titus chapter 2, as you turn in your Bibles towards the end of the New Testament, you're going to find it there or scroll on your phone. Titus 2, verse 7. Titus 2, verse 7. We're, right, we're going to be right, starting right in the middle of a passage here where the author is giving a bunch of exhortations, kind of young men do this, young women do this, workers do that, da-da-da-da. So Titus chapter 2, verse 7. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Here we've got a situation where a small little letter, God's giving a bunch of exhortations here. What I want us to focus on today is the reason for the exhortations. So verse 13, uh, verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 11 gives the word for. Very simply, in other words, he's saying, hey, because of what I'm about to say, I gave you these previous exhortations. Because of what? We get right to it. He says, because of the grace of God that has appeared. In other words, he's saying, hey, because of what God has done for you, God's kindness to you in the person of Jesus Christ, this is what should be happening in your life. In other words, look back at grace. Grace appeared. Notice the word appeared. It's not going to appear, it's not appearing, but appeared. Because Paul is pointing us back to an event. The event is the life, death of Jesus Christ. Point back to grace appearing. Now grace does something. A lot of times when we think of grace, we think of grace just as this. Uh, hey, you're good to go, you made a mistake, the mistake is forgotten, go on. Grace does that. Grace then allows us to receive mercy that allows us to forgive for forgiveness. But grace also does something. Look with me in verse 11. Two things, bringing salvation, or in other words, gives a gift. Grace is what gives us salvation. There would be no opportunity for salvation. There would be no salvation for all people without grace. Grace gives us something. But it also does something, verse 12, training. What's doing the training? The grace of God that appeared. Grace doesn't just say you're forgiven, but grace also says you're changing. And grace works to change us. So this grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Grace should be doing something in our lives. That when we look back at God's gift, Jesus Christ coming in the form of a human, dying on the cross, rising from the dead. When we look at that gift, that gift should be active in our lives by shaping and forming us. It's not just a one and done. Our lives need to be saturated in grace. We need to look back 
and experience and know the grace of God. Because when we know the grace of God, it changes how we handle failures. It changes how we handle feelings. When we experience God's kindness to us. So right now we're in a season of looking back. During the Christmas season, we spend a lot of time singing songs about something that happened. And actually this passage of Scripture, Titus 2, might be familiar to you because it's usually read Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. And the reason for that is, is because of this phrase, grace appeared. That what happened on Christmas Eve? John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was full of grace and truth. So we look back and at the manger, what do we see? Grace. God giving of Himself in the form of a human being. We look back at the life of Jesus, what do we see? Grace. Jesus living the life on our behalf. We look at the death of Jesus, what do we see? Grace. God giving Himself to take our penalty on the cross. You look back and you see grace. Our life needs to be saturated in grace. But we don't just look back as Christians. We don't just look back at what's happened. But as Christians, we also look forward constantly. Look with me in Titus chapter 2 now again. Verse 13. So now waiting, as we wait, what? For our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Christian life is not just looking back at a bunch of events, but it's actually looking ahead as well to the greatest event to come the return of Jesus Christ, saturated with grace, saturated with glory. Glory simply means weighty. Glory simply means great, fabulous, majestic. So when we're saturated with glory, what we're saturated with is the greatness of God's promise. We need to do a better job of looking ahead, of saying, what is the future that God has promised us? What is that future? That future is the appearing of Jesus Christ. Jesus coming again. This is not fiction stuff. This is not some sci-fi thing. This is the real event, the real Christian's hope that Jesus returns. What happens when Jesus returns? Flip with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 3. I want us to turn to this to see a little consistency in Scripture. Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21 Philippians 3, 20 and 21, we're reminded again of the hope and get a little more specific. Philippians 3, 20 and 21, Paul's been doing some comparison here, encouraging people to know Jesus and how some have walked away from Jesus and they've found their glory and things of this world. And Paul reminds the followers of Jesus, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for the return of Jesus. We're not waiting just to be whisked off into some heaven somewhere. We're not waiting to die and then be whisked off to heaven. We're waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And at the second coming of Jesus Christ, what's going to happen? The transformation of our bodies. Our bodies are going to be what? Transformed to be like 
His glorious body. What's going to happen to the dead in Christ? They're going to be raised and be transformed to be like His glorious body. This is what we're waiting for. This is the glorious future event. You know why Revelation is so hard to understand? Because we're taking something so magnificent and God's trying to use human language to describe it. He's trying to take something undescribable and make it describable. This event of Jesus Christ returning, and bring, this event of taking people out of their graves and say, new body, that's not describable. It's never been done. People rarely even imagine it. But that's the event. And then they have to use things like a lion laying with a lamb to describe this kingdom that Jesus is going to bring about when he returns. Is a lion really going to be laying with a lamb? I, I don't know. Just using human language and imagery to show us how perfect that new creation, that restoration is going to be. That's our hope. Our hope is Jesus returning and bringing us new bodies, a new kingdom. We've got to be saturated with that glory. We're saturated with God's grace. We're saturated in God's glory. And when we're saturated with those two things, guess what happens? We abound in hope. Because when we're saturated in grace and glory, we can fight off the four Fs. So how does grace and glory affect the four Fs? Well, how does glory affect our fears? Glory affects our fears because it allows us to acknowledge our fears and compare our fears with the great glory that is to come. So what we should be doing as followers of Jesus Christ is when we're afraid, it's okay to say, hey, I'm afraid. But we should quickly remind ourselves, what is the future glory we have? And I always do this in my mind. What's the worst case scenario? Draw out the worst case scenario. Guess what? The worst case scenario you can draw out can't touch this future glory. It's minimal in comparison to the future glory. Think about it this way before that we've kind of talked about before. You lose your wallet. You're running around your house searching for the wall, your wallet. All of a sudden the phone rings. Somebody's like, hey, you've got to be down here in 10 minutes to collect your million-dollar gift. How many of you are still concerned about your lost wallet? Okay, you see me afterwards if you are. Think. Nobody's concerned about their wallet anymore. I'm going to what? Get the million dollars. Now, some of you, I saw your minds there. You went to the details. Well, what about my ID in my wallet? Think. See what happens? See what happens is this. You get stuck on the details. You're a minute late. You might have your ID, but you're still a minute late. Go get the million dollars. As followers of Jesus Christ, what should we be doing? Saturated with the future glory. That's so much more than a million dollars. It's a resurrected body in a new kingdom forever. And not get so bogged down in the details of when, where, and how. But know the future glory that we have. It can minimize any fear that we have. Minimize our fear by dwelling upon the glory. Glory and grace changes everything. Our feelings. So many of us have got some feelings in here, and they're real. This is stuff that you're actually feeling. But guess what? You've never expressed it. 
I would plead with you today. That which you are feeling, you need to express to someone. It's real. If you have an urge in your life to do something, I'm not going to say you don't have that urge. I'm not going to say the urge is right, but that urge is real. What do you need to do? You need to express that urge to someone so they can help you work through that feeling. And this is where grace is so important. When are you going to express a feeling? You're going to express it when you know there's grace present. So feelings and failures are really close to each other. When are you willing to express feelings or failures? When you know the person that you're expressing it to is going to what? Slap your hand? Or the person is going to hold out both hands? How often does an iron fist produce confession? Scripture tells us in Corinthians that what? God's kindness leads us to repentance. When I know that someone's going to have some patience with me and kindness with me, I'm more willing to say, hey, you know what? I missed it. But if I know that that person's just going to jump all over you, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to avoid it. So we've got to look back at God's grace. Know God's grace. Experience it firsthand of how He responds when we express our feelings to God. Now here's a very practical thing. Read the Psalms and see what happens. In the Psalms, you see what? Psalmists expressing feelings to God. And then how does God respond? God gives them a word. It says something like, put your hope in the Lord. Express your feelings to God. God responds with a kind word. When somebody comes to us, we should be a safe place. When someone says to you, hey, this is what I'm feeling right now, your first response should not be, <laughs> you're an idiot. How can you possibly feel that way? should be one of what? Seeking to understand. That's tough that you're feeling that way. It must be hard to have to go through that experience. People who express grace to one another because what? We've experienced grace from God. Grace changes it all. It creates an environment where what? Feelings don't have the final say. But rather we express them and we're healed so that they don't control who we are. Glory and grace change how we handle fears, change how we handle feelings, and they change how we handle facts as well, the same way it changes how we handle fear. The fact is this, things are bad. I, I, let's just be honest, things are pretty bad. I don't even think our politicians, our civic leaders are doing a good enough job describing the magnitude of the situation. It's pretty bad. 14 people were killed this last week, 16 total. Another 14 put in the hospital. Yesterday, yesterday, this didn't get any news because it's not part of the Western world. The other terrorist group, not ISIS, but Boko Haram, two bombs in some other small country that killed way more than 14. It, it's pretty bad. That's globally and here in our own country. It's pretty bad. And for some of you today, it's that stuff is, aren't the facts that you're dealing with. The facts that you're dealing with today is something with your flesh maybe, an illness. And it's bad. It's, it's bad. The doctor has told you it's bad. 
Some of you are dealing with the fact of, of a family member being gone this holiday season. That's a fact. There's nothing you can do about it. How do we deal with it, though, where that fact doesn't what? Rob us or squelch the hope that's supposed to be abounding in us. The only way we can deal with those facts is what? Meditate upon the glory again. Just like the fears. We've got to know that what? No matter how bad it gets, guess what? Nothing they do can put Jesus back in the grave. Nothing that's done to my body can put Jesus back in the grave. Therefore, guess what? Nothing can rob me of my future inheritance. I'm going to face the facts. I'm going to acknowledge the facts. But I'm not going to allow the facts to rob me of abounding in hope. Because the future glory squelches any of the current facts. We need to get obsessed with the future glory. Guess what? It might not get any better here. It might not get any better here. And that's, that's not our hope. Our hope is not that we're going to be restored to some greatness here and all evil is done away with. Our hope is that Jesus returns and establishes a kingdom forever. We've got to get obsessed with that future hope because the facts are bad. They're real bad. Finally, our failures. Grace changes everything with our failures because now we actually can look back in life and what? Deal with it. So many of us don't want to look back into our pasts and deal with some stuff that's still affecting us today. I'm getting a little psychological for a moment in counseling here. Some of you are like, oh boy, emotional. For, oh, we're getting a little bit crazy, weird stuff. Think, no, no. What, the way you were raised and stuff that's passed down from generation to generation affects who you are today. It affects how you respond to things today. If you had alcoholism in your family in previous generations, you need to deal with that. You need to acknowledge that. If your parents uh, uh, said things to you or whatever, you need to acknowledge that because it affects the way that what? You treat your kids. To, to think that none of our past, right or wrong, affects who we are today and what we do today is pure foolishness. You're not formed in some vacuum. You're formed by your experiences. Have you looked into your past and said, God, you know what? I, I've never just come out with it and said, shouldn't have done this in that relationship. God, I just need to come out with it and say, this past business dealing has affected the way I've handled present business dealings. Got to deal with it. And guess what? God's grace allows us to deal with the past because there's forgiveness. So often our failures free it, frees us in guilt and in action. But when we're saturated in grace, we can confess freely so that we can experience ongoing grace. Today, if we want to abound in hope, we would do well to acknowledge our fears and compare them to the future glory. If we want to abound in hope, we would express our feelings in an environment where grace and glory direct the conversation. If we want to abound in hope, we would face the facts of life in light of the promised future glory. If we want to abound in hope, we would confess our failures to experience the grace of God.
There's a gift for you. It's not earned. It's given. There's a gift for you. It's called hope. The reason that it's a gift is because our hope is Jesus. And Jesus is a gift. Will you receive that gift of hope today? Will you allow that gift of hope to abound in your life today? You can receive that gift today if you're willing to acknowledge those things that can suffocate the gift. What do you need to deal with today in order that today you can abound in hope? What fear do you need to acknowledge today? What feeling do you need to talk about? What fact do you need to face? And what failure do you need to confess? Let's look back at what Jesus Christ has done for us, coming in a manger and dying on a cross. And as we look back, let's also look ahead to a glorious future with resurrected bodies. When we look back and we look ahead, guess what? Now we can abound in hope. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for the work that you have done on our behalf. Thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ in the form of a baby. Thank you for having him die and take our punishment. God, we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would empower us and enable us to look ahead as well. Thank you for the glorious promise. Thank you for the glorious future, the resurrection, and the new kingdom. Lord, capture our hearts, capture our minds with your grace and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.